Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, we are closing out the series of talks that focus on biblical stewardship. In these talks, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer has been leading us through the Bible, bringing practical application of giving. And not just the tithe, but the giving of yourself, why we need to do it, and how it is God-honoring. Today's talk is called Biblical Budgeting. If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. More information on how you can connect with us at Unity Baptist Church will follow today's talk. And now, here's Heath. time in the word we are going as you see we're speaking about biblical budgeting this is the last of our four-part series on biblical stewardship and hopefully we've learned a little bit more about stewardship by this time when we talk about stewardship we're not just talking about money we give to God it's how we responsibly use all that we have for the Lord's glory because as a steward it means that God owns everything he owns our life remember the Bible says you are not your own your life has been bought with a price And so my time is not just simply mine to spend on myself. My money is not just simply mine to spend upon myself. My talents, the things that God, abilities God has given me to do, are not just there to be consumed upon myself. That as human beings, remember in the garden, you were created in the image of God. And so your life has a much higher purpose than that of an animal. Animals just go out and live their lives. They try to be comfortable. It's like your dog at home. They just try to be comfortable. They want to eat. They want scratched behind the ear. They want to be comfortable. We're not dogs. You're a human being created in the image of God, and because of that, your life has infinite worth. And because of that, we also have a responsibility to steward all that we are and return it unto the Lord. And so this week, we're not looking at, like last week, we looked at what do we give to the Lord and why, but this week we look at how do we wisely and responsibly steward all that God has left for us to live upon? How do we live generously here? You say, well, why are we even preaching on that in church? Shouldn't you just be, you know, teaching the old rugged cross? And and we do. We teach these things. But the Bible says we need to teach the whole counsel of God. And if you study through the things that Jesus taught, you'll discover that Jesus taught a great deal more about money and how we use it than he even did on heaven. What does that tell you? It means that how we spend our money reveals a spiritual position in our heart. How we spend our money is a spiritual matter. It's not just some physical matter that you leave money matters alone out there in the world and how I spend my money is how I spend my money and you just tell me about the old rugged cross. Well, we got to teach both because the Bible teaches both. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so how we spend our money is a spiritual matter. Your checkbook doesn't lie. What do you love most in life? What do you value most in life? Look at your pocketbook. Look at your your credit card statements, that's where your heart is, Jesus says. So this week, it's gonna play out a little bit differently. A lot of times we'll just take a text and we'll just work our way through, but to provide wise financial stewardship on how to budget our money, there's not just any one text that will lead you there. And so this morning's message is gonna be kind of like if you've ever done your devotions in the book of Proverbs, and you read through six verses and you feel like you just got six sermons. You know, that's how Proverbs are. Each one of them is like a little micro-sermonette. That's gonna be kind of how this morning rolls out as we study it. And so we're gonna look at various pieces of wisdom scripture and try to discern, God, how do I wisely budget my money at home so that I can glorify you with it? First principle we're gonna see here is, is just a reminder to live simply. 
Psalm 37 verse 16 says, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Why do you suppose David associates abundance with many wicked? Because you can have abundance and be a godly person. Job was wealthy and godly. Abraham was wealthy and godly and all that. So why here is he associating that with the wicked? He's not saying that to have abundance is wicked, but he's, he's acknowledging that often wicked people are willing to compromise to get abundance. They're willing to sacrifice the time of the Lord. They're willing to sacrifice their relationship with their wife. They're willing to sacrifice their relationship with their children. At times, even morals, they're willing to throw out the window if I can earn another buck. And yet with the righteous, for whatever reason, he says better is the little that the righteous has. Doesn't mean all righteous people have little, but righteous people tend to have different values in the world. The world says, my purpose of my life is to live as high a standard of living as possible. I'm willing to do anything to get there. The righteous, those whose heart is for God, recognizes my life has far more significance than just the earthly life I live here. And so I'm content with having less. I don't need to have what this guy has. I don't need to drive the car that you have. I don't need to live in the house that you have. God blessed you with that, great. I'm not covetous or jealous of it, but I don't need that to be happy. He says, better is the little that the righteous has. This word better is a Hebrew term that means someone who is content, someone who's pleased, somebody who's happy with how their life turned out. Can you get to the end of your life and by the world's standards not be a wealthy person yet look back upon your life at your family, your walk with God, what God has done through you and look back with a contented and a pleased heart right before you go to the Lord and say, this was a good life. You can do that and not have a lot of the world's goods. And so he says, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance that the wicked have. Now, the world doesn't play nice with this. The world doesn't want you to be content. You ever notice that? You watch TV any length of time, you watch a YouTube video, you're gonna get commercials. What's the goal of a commercial? It's to show you, you think you're happy, you're actually not, you know? You like driving that 2006 Toyota Corolla? You really shouldn't be happy because look at this 2023 Lexus. It will drive for you and you know, massage your sore arches while you drive down the road and heat the seat and it'll pour you a cup of tea. You know? That's what these new cars can do. And its goal is to make you think, I'm kind of tired of driving this, you know, tinny-sounding little Corolla. Man, I could be driving in luxury there. And, and it, it, the purpose of advertising is to make you covet. I need to have that now. Why shouldn't I have that? I mean, Danny's driving that. Why shouldn't I be driving that? Even little kids, just, do commercials try to make kids covetous? When I was a kid, the cartoons only came on one time a week. Okay, you kids got it good. Saturday morning, I would get up at 5.30 to watch cartoons, and there would always be ads, and on Saturday mornings, they're not advertising Lexus because kids don't care about that. They're showing you, you think you're happy eating your buttered toast? You shouldn't be. Not unless you have, you know, super-duper, you know, fruity, crunchy Captain Crunch, you know, in your cereal bowl, will you be happy again? And it, so commercials all around the world are assaulting us with, you think you're happy, you shouldn't be. You can't be happy until you have what this guy has. You can't be happy until you have the biggest, the best, the fastest, something that's out there. But the Bible tells us better is the little that the righteous has. Jesus himself said in Luke 12, 15, take care, watch out for yourself, be on guard against all covetous because Jesus says your life does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess. You're not gonna die a happier person just because you had a few more things in life. So when budgeting this, we've got to get to the heart attitude first. Be willing to live simply and understand that your life can still be better, happier, because you have time with God, you have time with your family, 
and you have time to live generously with others. Number two, it was saved for the future. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says this, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Why is there precious treasure and oil in the wise man's house? It's because he's not spending it. He doesn't spend all the treasure that comes in every month. He saves it back. He chooses to live on a lower standard of income. Why is there oil in the wise man's house? Because he's not eating tomorrow's oil today. He realizes tomorrow may not be as abundant as today. Someday, you know, my transmission's gonna go out, you know, and I'm gonna need some food. I'm gonna need some money. I'm gonna need treasure to take care of that. So wise people, Bible says, spend less than they make. Wise people save money for the future. And then he talks about the, the foolish man. What does a foolish man do with all his oil in his dwelling? He devours it. In other words, as soon as there's oil in the house, it's gone, man. We're going to make oil cakes, oil pancakes, and this and that. And oil was a, is a sign of just kind of joy and prosperity if you had oil in your house. The Bible says when you get that in your house, you can tell if you're foolish or wise with your money by do you have money left over at the end of the month or do you consume everything you make every single month? The Bible calls that the life of a fool. I'm not calling you a fool, but that's what the Bible says. If you spend everything you make every month and you never save money, that's foolish financial you know, handling. That we should be the wise where we possess these things and we retain these things. And so in terms of saving, you know, there's different types of saving. We have short-term saving you know, for things like when the car breaks down, because it will or when something breaks in the house, because it will, or you know, when little Johnny falls off the swing and he breaks his arm because he's going to do that. That's what boys do. You know, they're wild, violent little children, and we love them for it, but they, it costs money. And so we've gotta have money saved up for those things. Short-term, Christmas presents or vacations, you save for those things. In long-term, we save up money, down payments on a house or even retirement that we put money ahead to try to live wisely, where we don't spend all that we make. You know, for a percentage that my wife and I have tried to aim for, and most times can, but try to save at least 10% for just short-term savings, when something breaks down, when we have to fix something. And then retirement. We need to say this about retirement here too. The American concept of retirement is not God's concept of retirement. I think it's good that we save money away. I think there's actually a biblical precedent that we, that we put money away. Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That if we're truly a good person, we're not consuming all that we make upon ourselves, but that we wanna live generously as even so far as it relates to our children, our children's children. Now, depending on your career, you may not have as much as other people to pass on, but the idea is live on less than you make so that your life can be a, a generous blessing to other people. That's what retirement is. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to live generously with our time and our money. American retirement says, this is the time when everybody pays you back. You've worked hard all your life. Now it's all about you. It's about you. It's about number one. Time for you to go fishing. Time for you to you know, do all these things that you wanted to do and just kick back and relax. When you come to church, tell people I've done my time and just sit down and just kind of coast into eternity. God, that, by the way, that concept of retirement is nowhere in the Bible. 
Saving money for your children's children inheritance, that is in the Bible. But just this idea that I get to a stage of my life where I check out and I no longer uh, have a responsibility to live generously with others and give to God, I, where we just check out and live for ourselves, that's American, but it's not biblical. Well, how much do we save for retirement? Hopefully, by the way, you are saving something. I'm not a financial invest, you know, investor professional, so I'm gonna quote people smarter than me. Dave Ramsey has a quote, and he says this about saving retirement. He says, no matter how much or how little you make, investing 15% of your income will put you on track for a secure retirement. Now, if you go to schwab.com about financial investments and things, they'll, they'll tell you this. Uh, they'll kind of grade it by your age. If you're, they say if you're in your 20s, save 10 to 15% of your pre-tax income. They say if you're getting started in your 30s, 15 to 20%. And if you're in your 40s, hopefully you haven't waited until your 40s to save, but some of us, we get there. He says 25 to 35% of your pre-tax income. Now, that's a whopping chunk of change. By the way, it shows how important it is to live below our means as early an age as possible. You don't want to be, you guys here? And this, these first few rows, by the way, love you, love the crowd that's here. We're so excited about what God is doing amongst you. Please don't wait until you're my age to save for retirement, or you will be working at Walmart. Hello, welcome to Walmart. Hello, welcome to Walmart, until you're like 95 years old. So start saving early. Learn to, learn to lower your standard of living today so that you can reinvest for the future. That's what wise men do. They retain treasure and oil in their dwelling. Number three, pay what is due. Can you get ahead in life if you don't pay your bills? You know, whenever we pay a bill, you go to the hospital or you go anywhere else, you're signing your name to something. It means this name that you read right here, it's good for that money. You can trust me. And then as a Christian, some people, you know, we default on what we owe. We don't pay back what we owe or we pay it back late. And that gives us a bad name. Romans 13, seven reminds us, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, should we pay our taxes? It's right here in the Bible. Did Jesus pay his taxes? Now, he did it pretty miraculously. He got a coin from a fish. Don't you try that, Tyler. But, you know, he, he paid his taxes is the key. Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. That we, at times, owe people money, and Christians are those who are good for their money. They have a good name in the community. You can trust this guy. You can loan Kevin 20 bucks. He's good for it. You know he's gonna bring it back to you and probably with a plate of cookies. You know, that's just, that's what we do. That's what Christians are. Remember, we're stewards. First Corinthians 4, 2, what does it say about stewards? What is the number one thing we need from stewards? Moreover, it is required among stewards that we be found what? Faithful. Faithful means I can have faith in you. When you say you're gonna do something, you do it. When you say I can trust you, you're, you know, you're gonna be there. When you say you're gonna pay me back, you're gonna pay me back. And so Christians, to be good stewards of our money, we have to be faithful people. That our word means something, that we don't just flake out and, and not pay our bills or not show up or not do what we say we're gonna do. This is what faithfulness is. And that is the number one thing God wants from his stewards is that people can count on you because we're supposed to represent God. And can you count on God? You can. You can count on God. He is faithful. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can count on him. He's never gonna change. He's predictable. You can put your faith in him. You can trust him so that at the end of your life, when we all flatline, beep, 
it, we know that we can just rest gently into eternity knowing that Jesus has a hold of us. You can trust God, and so you should be able to trust a Christian. Number four, let's talk about debt. Avoid it. Next point. Okay, so we don't, debt is a, is a tool, but it's often a very dangerous tool. It's something that we're increasingly comfortable with as Americans. I've noticed recently that when I go to make an Amazon purchase, amongst my credit cards that are stored there, there's like this option now where they're kind of like, hey, you don't have to pay it today. Wouldn't it be fun just to pay $25 today and then, you know, pay $25 for the next 17 years, you know, for that box of drinks you just bought? And they try to make it look so just convenient. Yeah, I don't don't want to pay that kind of money now. And so they make it just very easy on us. You go to buy a car. They don't want to talk about how much car you can truly afford. They want to talk monthly payments. Let's see what we can get you into. Wouldn't you much rather have this car? Oh, yeah. I'll find a way to put you into it. They don't care whether it's good or not for your finances. It's just they get us lured into get yourself into as much debt as you can possibly handle, maybe more. And so the Bible does give us some warnings about debt in Proverbs chapter 26 or 22, verse 26. He says, be not one of those who gives pledges. You know, someone who promises to pay you back later. Sort of like the old Popeye cartoons I used to watch as a kid. Wimpy would always say, I'm glad you pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. You know, we don't want to be wimpy off of Popeye, okay? I know it's an old cartoon. It's dated, but that's what I grew up on. And so we don't want to be that guy. We, want to, we don't want to be one of those who gives pledges constantly. Hey, uh, hey, give me some money. Give me some money. He says, don't be one of those who gives pledges. And then he says, or who put up security for debts. What's that? It's collateral. Hey, you can give me money. I don't know if I can trust you. Uh, so I'll put my house up against that. I'll put my car up against that or this up against that. And so we give securities. He says, don't be one of those guys. If you have nothing in which to pay, why should your bed be taken out from under you? In other words, we may borrow money for the future believing that I'm going to be as healthy in two years as I am right now. Is that a promise? The Bible says, do not boast of tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring. You could walk across the street, you know, and get hit by a truck you know, welcome to Unity Baptist Church. If you're a first-time visitor today, we're glad that you're here. Very uplifting congregation, generally. But that can happen, can it? You can't, that's the deceitfulness of debt. Remember the man, the rich, the guy the Bible calls the rich fool? He says, wow, look, I have many goods. And what does he think that translates into? I have many goods laid up for many years. Because I have many goods, of course I'm going to have tons of time to spend it. Will you? And that's the deceitfulness of debt. We predict the future, we're trying to, but it may come to a place where they take everything you have. They repossess your car. They literally take the couch out from under you that you were doing payments on. They could take your house. And so the Bible warns us, be very careful with debt. Proverbs 22 verse seven says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Ever wonder where that term came from? The borrower is the lender slave? It's right here in Proverbs 22. He's warning us that when you're the rich, those who, and by the way, to be rich, all it takes is to spend less than you make. Can you make half a million dollars a year and still be poor? You you can't, you can live poor because you're still spending more than you make. 
And when that's the case, you become the slave of the, the lender when, when you borrow money so that you can increase your standard of living today. And you're, you're eating tomorrow's oil today. Pretty soon, you're now a slave to that. Whoa, I got all this debt and they're gonna take everything I have. I better go out there and work a second job. Wife, you better go out and work a, a you know, full-time job or get a second job. And, and pretty soon, we're just... We're working seven days a week, we're trying to find side gigs, and we're doing whatever we can just to pay off these bills, and our life now is a hamster wheel where all we're trying to do is stay a little bit ahead of our debt. Do you ever feel like a slave to your budget? It might be because we're living a standard of living that God never intended for us to. And so he says, beware that we don't become a slave to our debts. Romans 13.8 says, don't owe anyone anything except for love. We have a debt of love to show one another, but please don't owe them money if you don't have to. You know, if you ever watch Little House on the Prairie, anybody? My wife and I grew up on that. We have all the seasons at home. You want to come over and we'll binge Little House on the Prairie together. But how did Pa Ingalls always like to buy things over at the Olson's Mercantile? Cash on the barrel, you got that right. Now, we don't use cash anymore, and we don't often put it on any barrels, but you get the idea. Who was it in the little house on the prairie that always was trying to lure the Ingalls into the trap of debt? Harriet Olson, oh, don't worry, put that on your tab, put that on your account. No, Charles says, tells Laura, we do cash on the barrel. We don't put money in, we don't eat tomorrow's oil today, we don't spend tomorrow's money today just to enrich my present standard of living. We live wisely. So be like Charles, don't be like Harriet, moral of the story. The Bible even warns us, by the way, about assuming the responsibility of debts for other people. He says in Proverbs 6, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, or have given your pledge to a stranger if you are snared in the words of your mouth. You see that? He sees that you putting up your, you know, your collateral on behalf of somebody else, your good name for them. Bible says it can be a dangerous thing. He says he sees it as a snare. It may get to a place where you're held in place because of somebody else's foolish living. He says, do this, my son, and save yourself. Get out of it if you can, he says. For you have come into the hands of your neighbor. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hands of a hunter. Is it wrong to co-sign on loans? No, but it's dangerous. That's what the Bible's saying. Be careful, especially the less you know them. You know, if you put up surety, uh, security for a stranger, you know, you better know them pretty well. It's dangerous. You could be a, you know, fall victim to this and be a prey in the hands of a predator. You know, people often ask, can Christians have credit cards? You'll get people on both sides of that. You know, ah, nobody should ever have a credit card. They're evil. If you have a credit card, cut it into 15 pieces and burn it and scatter the ashes. And, you, and the reason they feel so strongly about it is because they've seen their neighbors destroy their lives on credit cards. And if you're somebody who lacks self-control, you probably ought to listen to them. I've seen people ruin their lives several times into bankruptcy because they can't handle a credit card. A credit card is just a tool. But then again, so is a gun. You can, uh, you can kill an animal. You can feed your family for a week on that deer. But you're not just going to that, hand that gun to your kid who's never handled one before and say, hey, why don't you take a shot at this here deer? And a kid's going to shoot you right in the ankles, and you're going to go to the hospital. It's going to be, you know, you're going to kill him. And so we don't, we don't just hand dangerous things into the hands of people who are untrained. So I would just tell folks, you know, do you have self-control? Have you trained your children how to use credit cards, that you treat them like a debit card, that you pay them off every month? 
that you don't look at your available credit. Wow, I've got $20,000 more I could spend this month. I can afford that new TV and that four-wheeler. No, you can't because that's what your credit card says. What does your bank say? Boing, you got nothing there, buddy. You're, you're struggling. You're barely making your bills for your groceries. And so it's just a tool. People ask also about houses. You know, is it wise to have household debt? What's your alternative? You know, join one of these tent encampments in town or pay rent all your life. No, a house is a good and is, is considered more of an investment than it is a debt in that it appreciates over time. What about car debt? Does car debt appreciate? Typically, no. You buy a brand new car, you drive it off the lot, you get home, what's your car worth? Several thousand dollars less than what you paid for it. And so my encouragement to folks with car debt is keep it as low as possible. In fact, you may even get to a place where you don't have to have car debt. Imagine that. Uh, I'm gonna tell you right now, my wife and I have not had a car payment that my family was personally responsible for uh, for about 20 years now. And doesn't, we don't drive the nicest cars. The last car that we bought brand new was 16 years old when we bought it. But you know what? We paid cash for it. It's not because we're wealthy. It's because we're willing to drive cars that are less than what we could afford. But what that does is we have no car payment right now and won't for several years, Lord willing, and hopefully never will. But when, instead, what we do is we put money aside into an account to buy a car later so that when it dies, we've been paying ourselves without interest instead of throwing our interest at a bank. There are ways to get around these things and to live wisely with, concerning debt. Let's move on. Debt is a tool, but it's a dangerous tool. Be careful with it. Five, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. To honor the Lord with our produce simply refers to the fact that we are coming into the presence of a king. And when we come into the presence of the king, we are to honor him with what we have. And so when you would visit a king from another country, uh, often you wouldn't just come in and say, hey, what's up, King Solomon? You would go to Solomon, and then you would, you would uh, bring gifts from your country. You know, this is what our country produces. We produce all these spices, and we, we have this gold and silver mines in our country, and so we bring that before the king. And so the Bible sees that when we come before the presence of the king, we come here and we gather on a Sunday morning to into the presence of the king and to worship him, that we bring a, a sampling of our goods, our first fruits. By the way, first fruits, Israel knew what that was. I say first fruits to you, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but to them, it was the first, you know, the first harvest of what they had when they would grow, you know, different types of grains and fruit. The first harvest, you know, it belongs to God. The first bit of that, there's certain things that we do that we just give to God completely off the top. And that's how we give by faith. If you give God off the bottom, that doesn't take a lot of faith. And a lot of times it's easy to forget and be like, eh, can't afford to give to God this month. Sorry, you understand, Lord. But I've, you know, I've got to pay off that new Dodge Charger that I just bought. And so we give to God off the top. And when we give by faith, what does Proverbs say God will do in return? Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce, and then your barns, your barns and your vats. That's where we store our wealth back then. Your barns and your vats will be what? Filled with plenty that God promises to provide for us when we give to him, and we do it by faith. My wife and I, when we do our budget, we, uh, 
we put our giving to the Lord not in our expense column because we don't see the Lord as an expense. It's money that was never mine. And so we put it right there in my income column. We have our, all of our income and we add it up. And then we have our taxes and giving and it's removed right there at the beginning. That never belonged to me to begin with. And so we remove that right off the top and then we look at what we have left and we budget from that. It's a different way of looking at things. It's a, frankly, it's a biblical way of looking at things. Number six, we have set money aside to live generously with other people. Proverbs 11, verse 24. It says, one gives freely, and yet he grows richer. Another withholds what he should give. In other words, everybody should be able to be living wisely so that they can live generously with others. Another withholds what he gives. And it says, when he does that, he only suffers want, that he doesn't have much for himself. For the one who hoards, that's a natural tendency. We want to hoard everything we have just for us because it gives us a sense of security. I can trust in me. But where does God want our trust to be? In ourselves and our ability to provide? Ultimately, God wants our trust to be in him. I trust that God will be the one to take care of me. I do what I can, but ultimately, God pays my bills. And so there's one who grows, gives freely but grows richer. Another withholds what he should, and he suffers want. It's... That grand story between Potter and George Bailey. Who are you talking about? You watched it three times last Christmas, right? It's a Wonderful Life. None of us, we like old man Potter. You know, it's the biggest complaint that the, that company ever got is that they never dealt with Potter. He never got his. But we, why don't you like Potter? It's because he doesn't compassionately use his wealth. That's why you don't like him. He's like, oh, we need to be throwing people out in the street, you know, and who cares if business is business, you know. And he calls George Bailey and what his dad stood for, sentimental hogwash, Potter. He, you know, we don't like him because he's not compassionate with his use of wealth. He doesn't, he doesn't live generously. George Bailey, on the other hand, what do we see him do at the beginning of that movie? He's got dreams. He's got his suitcase he got from old man Gower, right? And he's going to go out and he's going to see the world. He's going to travel. He's got a stack of cash. He's about to go on his honeymoon, but then he sees that the, the savings and loan is about to go under, and so he gives it all up. And he moves into this dumpy old house full of, you know, rain. And, and even at the end of the movie, when he's stabilized a little bit, he still goes up the stairs and that little that railing, you know, is still broken and he suffers want and loss. And we, you look at him, you're thinking, this guy doesn't have much compared to Potter. But at the end of the movie, what does his own brother say about him? To George Bailey, richest man in town. There is one who gives, and yet he grows richer. And there's one who should give, but only suffers want. We have always, as God's people, lived generously. Abraham lived generously. God says, through you, all the nations of the earth are supposed to be blessed. That Christians, we're, meant to be, we're blessed by God to be a blessing to other people, not just to, with, to hold everything God has given to us to ourselves, to enrich ourselves. In the, in the first Chronicle, Chronicles chapter 29, when they're about to build the temple, it says the people gave a freewill offering. It says the leaders of the Father's houses made a freewill offering and they gave to the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darks of gold. And between that and what, what Solomon pitched in out of his own checking account, that came up to about $10 billion just in gold that the people freely gave. And it said they did so with joy 
They, they set money aside they could have used for themselves and they, and they gave it for the use of other people. Acts chapter two, we saw them being generous not just with God, but with one another. The foundation of the church, you got a lot of people there, there's a lot of needs. So in Acts chapter two, verse 44 to 45, it says, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. By the way, look, it says, all who believed were together, not all who believed were online. Granted, I know they didn't have internet back then. And, I, and we're grateful that we have online services and we're grateful for those of you who are sick or away or you're just infirmed, you cannot be here. We're grateful that you can join. There's no criticism there. But the church was together and they had, it says they had all things in common. Then what'd they do? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to proceeds to all as there was any need. That the church, the early church, they were generous. They lived at a lower standard of living so that they could live generously with other people. If you spend everything that you make, can you live generously with others? You cannot because you've already used it all on yourself. God intends for us to follow these examples here and to give generously to others. And when we generously give to someone else, you know, I see, you know, Jacob and his, some of his guys, they're gonna be going to Africa in June. And you're like, you know what? I wanna invest in Jacob and those folks who are going to Uganda this this fall, and I want to make, or June, I think, and I want to make sure that they get there, and I want to give generously to him. Do you know that when you give like that to individuals, even within the church, trying to help them out in a time of need, that God receives that as a gift unto himself? He truly does. Matthew chapter 25, 37, it says, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you drink? When did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. That God wants us to with others and to take care of not just the needs of the church, but even the needs of one another. That we know that there's someone in need. Oh, this person's sick and they're out. I'm going to bring them food or I'm going to, they, they want to go to a mission trip. I'm going to give them money and make sure they get there. We got kids that want to go to camp. I want to make sure that they get there because there's families that can't afford to go. I want to, God says, when you do those kind of things to the least of these, my brothers, the king says, you've done it to me. God receives that as a personal blessing. It's like when somebody wants to give something to one of your kids, how do you feel about that person? You wanna take them out to eat. That person's loving your kid. These are God's kids in here. And when we live generously with them, that pleases the Lord as, his fa as their father. Now to be able to live generously like this, to be able to give and live generously with others, you can't do it without a plan. It's sort of like, I wanna lose weight, but I don't want to plan to lose weight. I just want it to happen. Has that worked for anybody here? If you will, raise your hand, write a book. We all want to follow that diet. The whole, I wish I lost weight, but don't have to work for it diet. You'll make a lot of money. You can't do that. It requires a plan, doesn't it? I want to lose those Christmas pounds, and so I've got to eat kale, and I've got to eat ground turkey instead of the brisket that I get, and I can't have all that sugary barbecue sauce anymore. You gotta have a plan. And you have to plan to eat less calories than your body needs or consumes or uses. You gotta eat less calories. You've gotta live a lower standard of living, a little less enjoyable for a while. Why? Because in the end, you know it's gonna be good for you. It's the same thing with our budgets. We cannot live generously and give generously to God if we are not living below our means today. So number seven, we have to plan to succeed. Luke 14 says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? 
If you want to build something, you have, to, you have a goal in life. Goals require plans. Do you have in your heart a goal, a desire to honor God with your giving? If you don't, that's a very different heart issue. That's a lordship of Jesus issue in your life. Do you have a desire that you could be one of those that lives generously with others and gives to others? That should be a heart's desire for all of us. But to live like that, we've got to have a plan. If we have no plan, you know, you've heard the phrase, he who aims at nothing is sure to hit it. If you don't have a plan, you're never going to meet those financial goals to save for yourself, save for retirement, give to God, live generously. That requires us to think about it. And when we don't, you're not gonna be able to build that tower. My family and I, we lived in uh, Kunming, China, and there was, down the road, when we first moved to the housing development that we were gonna live in, it was nothing but village that surrounded us all the way around. And as it goes with Chinese cities, a lot of times you just kind of bulldoze entire villages and you build up all these high-rise buildings and that's what was happening around us. And there was a, all kinds of stories circulating amongst the Americans living in that city. They're building a new mall and guess what's coming? Americans living in China love rumors, by the way. Guess what's coming? We heard there's Ikea moving in down the road. Well, to Americans, we love that because we understand kind of what we're buying and it kind of meets our, our desires and sort of our, you know, just kind of our, our, our sense of decor. And so everybody's talking about Ikea. It's going down. And guess what? Sure enough, they started bulldozing this land. They built up the basement, the superstructure with the metal and all the concrete. And we're like, hot dog, it's coming soon. I'll be able to order a bunch of things that I can't pronounce from Ikea. You've been to Ikea, right? And I'm going to have all these things. It's going to be great. It's going to be so fun. We're looking forward to it. And then all of a sudden, it, building just stopped. You have this grand superstructure up in the sky with the metal and the girders and the concrete. And pretty soon, I asked my Chinese friends, hey, what happened? They said, oh, did, you, you didn't hear. They ran out of money. I said, how do you do that? You just start building a giant shopping mall and you run out of money? And so every time we drove by that, it's like we're all scorning that building. How dare you? You know, taunt us like this, and then you can't come through with it. Who does that? Who wastes millions of dollars in several years building this up and then doesn't finish? It was a monument to failure. But there's some of us here who we desire to build a grand home too, don't we? But we don't plan for it. And we just start doing stuff. We just start spending money and we just hope the money's gonna be there in the end and sometimes it's not. And at times, our lives can be a grand monument to financial failure. And it can be a disappointment to us. Who doesn't stop to build a tower and, and first think about, do I have what it takes to finish it? That it requires a plan. Well, what does that plan look like? I think with a Christian, you know, it begins with, it begins with a budget. The Bible uh, tells us that we, we need to plan what we use. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 23 to 24, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds for riches do not last forever. Is he giving us advice on agriculture here? Randy, pay close attention to all the sheep you have out at your place. No, but that's how they measured wealth back then. You'd say, hey, how many head of cattle do you have out there? You know, how many... It wouldn't be hogs because they wouldn't raise the unclean hogs. I mean, how many cattle, how many sheep do you have? And when he says, know well the condition of your flocks, he's saying, take good care of your finances. He says, for wealth doesn't last forever. You can't assume that because your flocks are healthy today that they're going to be healthy tomorrow. So we have to pay attention to the money that we have and to take good care of it. 
And so to help you do that, we've included in your, I mean, it was kind of hard to miss. You have your normal little half-page bulletin and this giant sheet. So hard to miss that, but if you want, just go ahead and pull that out. You don't have to do it right now, but go ahead and pull it out and look at that budgeting worksheet we printed off for you. It's from crown.org, which is a Christian financial planning kind of budgeting, helping Christians to live generously to be able to give to the Lord's work, to be able to give to others, to be able to meet their own financial goals well. And so this is just a sample worksheet. And you'll notice that right off the top when, he's lo- when you're looking in the corner of like income, the upper left corner, he puts our taxes, our giving right there. That right off the top, we're gonna give the Lord of our first fruits. They're disciplining us to think biblically in terms of our finances. And then we go down and we fill out all the other things together, and I encourage you to do that. I encourage you if, you, if you're not currently living with a budget, and statistically, most of you don't, just in talking to Christians, you'd be shocked how many Christians, they just spend money, and then they hope the money's there at the end, and then they start quoting Philippians 4.19, well, God will provide. Yeah, I know, I, you know, I went out to, you know, several vacations, and bought new couches, and just bought a new car, but God will provide. Well, God promised to provide what for you? All your wants? My God will provide all your needs. And so some of us, we're, we're living a filet mignon lifestyle on a baloney budget. That's gonna catch up to you. So God promised to provide for your needs. It doesn't mean it's a blank check that you go and live as selfishly as you want and God's gonna take care of that. It means sometimes you're gonna suffer want because of that. We have to discern as we're filling out these, these little individual fields here on this budgeting sheet what are needs and wants? We studied that in 1 Corinthians 6, 8, or 1 Timothy 6, 8. What did he say? With what two things will we be content? Food and clothes. I'm looking around here. Everybody's clothed. I'm looking around. Most of you look like you've had food in the last two weeks. You got food. You got clothes. The Bible says you don't need a whole lot to be content. You don't need a whole lot to be happy. Better is the little that the righteous has. You can be happy with less. He says, with food and clothing, with these things, we'll be content. And if we don't figure out really quick what is a need versus what's a want, you're never going to do budget well. You're going to fill out your budget with all your wants, and then you're wondering, well, I planned it. Why aren't my things, my life working out the way it's supposed to? Because sometimes we don't understand what a true need and a true want is. Sometimes we think our wants are needs. My wife and I, many years ago, we were counseling a young couple in their 20s. They were just getting started in life, and they were already in complete financial ruin. And so we're like, well, and so one of the couples in the church was like, would you please meet with them and just help them figure this thing out? And so we sat down with them and he was like, write down everything that you spend each month and then let's come in and talk. And so we did and we looked at what they spend and we're going through, we're like, okay, is this a need or a want? That's a need, okay. Is this a need or a want? Well, that's a need. $80 on cable TV every month, is that a need? Like, well, yeah, we've always had it. Tell me, friends, is cable TV, we don't do cable as much anymore. It's like 15 different streaming services for $6.99, you know. Are those things needs or wants? You don't want to be honest, do you? Yeah, they're wants, aren't they? We don't have to have that. I can live and get by without it. People did it for centuries. I look, so we started going through their budget a little further. This couple had ju- in their 20s had just bought a pair, mind you, two, matching Ford Broncos, brand new off the lot, I mean, boy, did they look slick driving up into church separately, driving these two Ford Broncos to church. We're like, woo, who's got money? And I see who gets out, and we're like, that brother doesn't have money. I don't know where he, I don't know where he got that. 
And so we're going through, and I said, brother, what about these Broncos you have? He said, well, I'm going to stop you right there. Those are needs. We both have jobs. I got to get to work. I said, but you have to drive brand new Ford Broncos to get to work. And so discerning what's needs and wants, whether I order filet mignon or, you know, go for the ground turkey, you know, whether or not I drive brand new Ford Broncos or I drive, you know, a 20-year-old Corolla to work. We go through our needs and our wants and we get brutal with ourselves. My wife and I, when we get into a new place and we have to go on a new budget, it's something we've been doing since our first year of marriage is we try for that first month or so, to, we, we go into what we call survival mode. And we just, it's sort of a game between us. Let's do only needs, not one want for 30 days. And let's just see how little we can spend and get by. Boy, did that lead to some marital discussions. <laughs> that pack of gum, baby, was that a need or a want? You know, how dare you? That's a, that gum, I need that, you know? But it's a want. And so we start having this discussion on needs and wants, and we try to see how little we can live off of. I guess God was preparing us for the ministry, right? How little can you get off of? And so this might be a good place to begin for some couples. Your first month, 30 days, don't change your spending. Just record everything that you spend. Know well the condition of your flocks. Know what's coming in. Write everything down. Keep every receipt, every gas receipt. You buy a Snickers bar at Walmart, you keep that receipt. And if there's no receipt, write it down in a journal. And then you come together at the end of the month and you'll know well the condition of your flocks. This is where all of our money's going right here. And then you're gonna see, wow, I cannot believe that going out every morning for a venti coffee and a muffin at the end of the year, if I do that every day, that's over $2,000 a year. Rich people are rich because they spend their money wisely in the small areas. They don't have these leaks. A dripping faucet, even a slow dripping faucet, will empty out about 350 gallons of water in a year. And a lot of times we have these little slow leaks in our budget. And we're not sure where all the money is going, but we write it down. We know well the condition of our flocks. We may actually finally discover, here's why I don't give to God. Here's why I can't live generously with others. This is why we're in credit card debt, is because we have a lot of little things that we do. 15 different subscriptions. 15 different streaming services. You know, we go out to eat four times a week. And we find out this is why. It's not because God isn't provided. It's not because I don't have enough money. It's because I'm not using what God has provided well because God promises to provide for our needs. If our needs are not being met then, is that God's problem? That sometimes we've got to be brutally honest with ourselves and make a budget. We gotta land this plane. I'm not gonna do in 45 minutes what takes Dave Ramsey a whole week with y'all. Uh, but you get the idea that Bible gives us a lot of biblical wisdom and scripture to figure out how do we wisely use the money that we have here. So I encourage you, go home as a couple, put the kids to bed, they don't wanna hear you fighting. Put the kids to bed, go through this budget worksheet together. This is what we actually spend. Spend 30 days and figure out and keep track of everything that goes in and out and it may be eye-opening for you and talk about it, agree as a couple. Don't one of you bully the other, you do agree on it together. And then the next month you may even try, hey, let's try a survival budget for one month. Let's see how little we can do. And then see about reworking our budget so that we can live our lives, not just to be a blessing to ourselves, but to be a blessing to other people because that's why we're here. We're blessed to be a blessing. And we make our plans and we entrust it to the Lord. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that as we study your word, we know that your word talks a great deal about money and how we use it.
Not just the money that we give to the Lord, but how we wisely use what we have and how we can live generously with other people. Help us to be good stewards of our time, the abilities that you've given us, the money and resources that we have. God, help us to steward them well for you, knowing that these things that you've given to us, they're not just for us. I pray that you'd give us wisdom and unity within our homes to be able to both, both husband and wife to agree to come together and to follow these biblical wisdom principles that as a couple we will agree to this so that we can live not, as a, not ensnared, not living in debt as a servant to our lenders, but that we might live in that sweet freedom of living within our means. Please be glorified in even how we spend our money, we ask in Christ. Amen. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, or if you'd like to share a response, visit us at www.unitybaptistashland.com. We would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. You can also connect with us on Facebook at UBC Ashland. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to like and subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, may we do as Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments.